shotglassdigital.com. Rebel Force Radio is brought to you by Little Debbie Snacks, bakers of all galactic goodness, like Star Crunch, Cosmic Cupcakes, Mini Donuts, and much more. Little Debbie, official snack of Rebel Force Radio, Rancho Obi-Wan, and fans around the galaxy. Oh, you want to talk about the Star Wars Book Club? It's <laughs> tonight. George W. Bush here. He's a big fan of tracking. No, it's not tracking. It's tracking, you idiot. <laughs> I get names wrong sometimes. I'm, I'm a little dyslexic. You know, it's, it's nuts. He never gets anything right. Hey, it's Captain Hook. <laughs> Captain Hook, you moron. <laughs> All right, here we go. <laughs> Rebel Force Radio presents... This is Master Obi-Wan Kenobi. I regret to report that both our Jedi Order and the Republic have fallen. This is Star Wars Rebels Declassified. I like the sound of that. A roundtable discussion about Star Wars Rebels. Pretty gutsy move, kid. I am the Inquisitor. Or Boston. Chopper, get us out of here. Now it's time for Star Wars Rebels Declassified. What is it about recording a podcast that makes every application on your computer want to update at that moment? Yes. Am I alone in this? Now all of a sudden everything. Java wants to update. Flash wants to update. Conspiracy. It knows. It knows. Maybe it's uh, Imperial Forces trying to stop us from talking about this particular episode called Action. Star Wars Rebels right here on Rebel Force Radio. Rebels Declassified. And oh my gosh. I mean, we you, you have no idea the show that we have for you. You have no idea. We have the perfect guests to talk about this particular episode. We are talking about the 11th episode. Still here in Season 1. A couple more to go. And uh, first of all, with me, to help me break it all down for all y'all, my good friend and yours from Chicago, just turned off the uh, Blackhawks game, Jimmy Mack. <laughs> you, you never really turn off the Blackhawks game. It goes Ooh. on and on. And just like Star Wars Rebels, hey, Rebels fans, Jimmy Mack here with you. And uh, excited to talk about the return of Tarkin to Star Wars and Call to Action. But first, if I may, I just want to address something really quickly. Uh, Jason, are you aware of some rather massive spoilers for Star Wars Rebels that have been popping up on the web this week? I am. I am. There's speculation about uh, what well, we well, may see. Now we, I, I don't want to reveal these spoilers. Well, these are just yes or no questions? These is that what it is? Very simply, I just was wondering. Yes, if I am aware, aware that there have been uh, some spoilers okay, good. that have been dropped. So we are aware. We know what's going on. But... What I want to do, what I want to propose right here at this moment is mm. that we continue on with our roundtable discussions, assuming there is no knowledge of any spoilers. I don't want to bring spoilers into what we're talking about. Well, but see, that's a little unfair. I don't that's think so. That's a little so. unfair because even if these spoilers had not leaked, I would still be asking the question that I'm about to ask in a little bit here. All right, well, let's just see what happens when you actually ask that question. Okay. But I, I, don't, mean, I just don't think it's, it's a tough thing. But I mean, the way they leave the end of this episode, it certainly begs the question about 
Who? Why? Who else? All that. All right. Well, maybe it's just best that we let it naturally unfold. So let's just do that. We'll bring on our esteemed panel. And man, oh, man, for this particular episode of Star Wars Rebels, we have, as Jason said, the perfect people on this show to talk about it. Yes. Uh, Starting with, he's a member of the 501st. You've probably seen him as Darth Vader at various events. Uh, He's from the Southern California Garrison and a good friend of our other guest. We have Mr. Scott Allen joining us. Scott, welcome to... Rebels Declassified. Well, hello, gents, and thank you. Now, you were reminding us that we met at um, Celebration 6. Correct. And uh, how, how could I forget? You're like nine feet tall. <laughs> you, uh, and, uh, and, and you were in your full Vader regalia. And, you know, there's all kinds of... Le- for the most part, I have found that, uh, you know, obviously there's, a, there's an incredible thread of quality that runs through all of the, the members of the 501st. Um, but the Vaders, I mean, that is some serious commitment. And I'm, and I'm guessing some serious coin to make that okay. happen. But, but you, you see all types. Uh, you see, like, the, the shorter Vaders. You see, you know, the, and then there's the guys like you, Scott, that just nail it. You look like you came right off of the film set. So Thank you. It's uh, it's always special to see you uh, in your full in your full getup. Yeah, it's one of my favorites, and it it is an amazing it, you know it's an amazing costume to wear with all these other guys in the Legion that do Vader. I mean, all of the costumes in the Legion are amazing anyway. But yeah, I got to hand it to the Vaders, and some of those guys are so ominous looking. Huh, I do my best. <laughs> how long, let me just ask real quick: How long did it take you to put that Vader together? How long did you work on that? That well, mine effect. was probably about a year and a half, almost two-year process between getting specific parts from some of the kit makers and having some of the soft goods made and things like that. So, And then I revamped it after I got it all put together and realized I'd made mistakes. <laughs> well, there's got to be a point where you're about three-quarters of the way done, and you can't wear it in public, but you're walking around the house, and you got everything except like the cod piece and maybe the helmet or whatever. I mean, did you have that moment where you're like, you're so anxious to wear it, but you don't have it all done yet? Absolutely. You know, what's funny is that I, I put the costume together almost almost 80% before I actually even knew anything about the 501st Legion. I was just a, you know, giant Star Wars fan and always wanted to own a Vader costume. And uh, I found myself in, uh, I found a, a, a Vader helmet that I thought I was just going to collect and put on a shelf until I realized I could wear it. Mm. And, you know, so that began my trip down the dark side. But yeah, I, I had you know uh, several times where I was walking around like, oh, if only I had the cape. <laughs> if only I had the shoes. <laughs> right. you know, how right. ominous would I be? <laughs> and now the, the costume in your house, is it, is it always on a mannequin or is it like, is it like uh, you know, the Bat Cave where it's always set up and ready to go? Or yeah, is it's, it in it's trunks? the Batcave option. It's ready to go because I, I, I do luckily get to wear it often enough. So uh, I always have it at the ready. Wow. Wow. Is it like hockey gear where you have to kind of let you let the sweat dry out of it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You don't want to be known as Stinky Vader. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, it's great to have you, Scott. Uh, we yeah, really thanks, appreciate guys. you joining us. This is going to be a really fun episode. And we saved, we saved the best for last. We really yeah. did. We have joining us the voice of Grand Moff Tarkin himself, good friend of ours here on the program. And what a great episode to have him back Stephen Stanton joining us. Stephen, welcome to Rebels Declassified, your first episode of Rebels Declassified. You may also call me Governor Tarkin rather than Grand Moff. Oh, 
Okay. Yeah, I kind of wondered how that works. Uh, Is it a double title? It is, I think, uh, according to the now canon novel Tarkin. And by the way, good to be back with both you guys. I haven't talked to both Jason and Jimmy, Mac and Scott all together in a while. Yeah, before we started (laughs) recording, uh, Stephen was very disappointed that I was joining everyone. He said, uh, oh, I didn't think we were going to have you. (laughs) Disappointed. That is an outright outright lie. (laughs) Oh, we have you. Uh, No. um, Surprised that you were here because I was under the impression Jimmy Mac led us on to believe that you weren't going to be joining us. I never time. said uh, anything like that. You assumed. Uh, <laughs> well, it is. With, no, it's, it's it with is that that uh, with the with Pippin and. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, so, yeah. We had a we had a good had time. time this week to do um, Star Wars Rebels, but I'm I'm pleased as punch that you're uh, that you're here. Well, Absolutely. that's great. You know, um, Stephen, when last we spoke. Uh, at least in terms of your uh, playing Tarkin, you know it was kind of kind of sad. You know the Clone Wars had had wrapped up, and we, we didn't know what the future held for Tarkin for you uh, in the role. Uh, but I, apparently, you were holding out on us because you knew all along that you were coming back as Tarkin in in Rebels. How long actually did you know that you were going to be uh, coming back into the role? Actually, I didn't find out until the beginning of last year, which was oh, uh, sometime around February, March, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, they keep all that stuff very close to the vest. Mm. That's, there's no secrets being leaked out uh, <laughs> in that regard mm. to, to the cast. Uh, I, had, I had my suspicions or hopes that, uh, that uh, they would bring Tarkin back because it was in a time period where we knew he was probably going to be a... Uh, you know, uh, a figure that was going to be very important, uh, you know, with the rebellion starting. So um, I had my suspicions, but I didn't know anything until um, about, uh, like I said, February or March. And then we recorded uh, this episode called Action uh, in April of 2014. Ah. And actually, this was actually wasn't called Call to Action when we recorded it. It was called Insurgents, which caused great confusion when I was trying to figure out the Disney XD schedule and finding out when it was airing because I didn't realize they had changed the title. Oh, that's interesting. Insurgents. I wonder what made them change the title to Call to Action. I guess, you know what? It's, it's a, a matter of perspectives, really, because as you see in this episode, there is a call to action and it comes from our rebels. When you say insurgents, that's more from the perspective of Tarkin himself, who is is trying to eliminate a problem. Well, you, you could say, too, Jim, that it was a call to action for Tarkin, that the rebels' uh, insurgency was a call to action for Tarkin to get involved and put the helmet on and the, the, the chest plate and get his fingers dirty. Interesting, Jason. Or you could say it was insurgency... <laughs> The call to action itself was the insurgency that led to the call of action, resulting in the insurgencies. Perhaps, perhaps. But I, you know, I'm kind of curious, Stephen, because I know that when you voiced the character the last time, this is a guy that was he was on the rise. He hadn't really become quite as. Uh, evil or as, as I, I shouldn't say evil Pablo Hidalgo on the Rebels Recon called him severe a severe British man um, he wasn't quite as severe but now we really see him I don't know if we'd say this is at his peak but we see him in a, in a much more familiar kind of role uh, so how did you uh, how did you approach the character this time around did you were you were you thinking about uh, adding some years on to the character from the last time 
you two met? Yeah, definitely. There was a, a conscious effort, just like I did when we were when he was introduced in the Clone Wars as Captain Tarkin, to bring to make him younger and more uh, you know robust. And uh, you know, I, I pitched his voice up higher in those episodes to suggest youth. And you know, you know, uh, when he was speaking about General Skywalker, you know, I I deserve my my trust for those who take action. And now we've gotten down to someone who's lived through the Clone Wars and has been through a number of battles, and he's got you know the Emperor over. Him and probably working with Darth Vader to some degree, and uh, you know, and now he's uh, a little more weary, and uh, he's gotten a little more sarcastic too, um, you know, because you know, we've gotten to the point where, in this episode in particular, we're hearing the Tarkin that's you know the kind of the same Tarkin we heard in New Hope, which is you know the charming to the last. You don't know how hard I found it signing the order to terminate your life. You know, wow. <laughs> that's witchcraft, man. That is that's absolute <laughs> nothing short of witchcraft. The way you do that, um, it's so it's uh, it's so dead on. It, I mean, obviously, of course, it is, but still Steve, gives me goosebumps. Stephen, when you were preparing to play Captain Tarkin in the Clone Wars, did you look at performances from a younger Peter Cushing to sort of? Uh, get an idea of where to uh, voice Tarkin at a younger age. Yes, those I went back to his uh, earlier, some of his earlier Hammer and non-Hammer stuff, things like uh, Hound of the Baskervilles, where he played Sherlock Holmes, um, things like that, uh, where he was playing uh, a sort of irascible character, but uh, who was very opinionated, uh, very very intelligent, knew what he was doing, but was also somebody that people didn't really care for to have around. They're like, gosh, you know, wish he wasn't right all the time. You know, he's such a jerk. You know, Holmes, darn it. And that's what I that's that's what that was the jumping off point for those for those uh, for those episodes in the Clone Wars. And uh, now that we're in Rebels, I'm going directly to the original Star Wars film and using that as the template, the jumping off point or for where we see him now. Oh, certainly you can hear it, especially, you know, famous Tarkin moments from A New Hope. One <laughs> strike, uh, things like that, or, uh, or one swift stroke, you know, when he does all those, those you know, those big raps that just build up, you know, where he sort of like the the classic mad villains from the past where he sort of goes, he pontificates and lays out his plan in front of you. But see, the difference uh, between Tarkin and, say, your run of the mill Batman villain is, the, is Tarkin tends to pontificate after he's killed you. So, <laughs> as we see in this episode, um, please say irascible again, Stephen. Irascible. Irascible. Listen to that. <laughs> but, now, <laughs> well, you know, it's very, you have to listen to your question. He, he talks about in his autobiography, the, uh, his, what you would call his accent, his way of speaking, because it was, it was something he developed in order to get into acting school because they threw him out originally. They said, come back when you learn how to talk. So he developed this this way, this almost affected way of speaking, because, um, you know, some people will say, like, maybe you should roll the R's a little bit more here or there. But if you listen to him in in the original Star Wars film, many times he says the word rebel and he just says rebel. And then sometimes it'll be rebel. And it just it depends. It's 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 not consistent. It's not something that you can always put your finger on where he's going to do it. I, I studied that for a long time when I was first doing this. I'm like, I can't figure out when he's going to do it. <laughs> Then, you know, 
Perhaps it was based on which yeah. shoes he was wearing at the time, oh, slippers good. or, you know. <laughs> of course, I was urged by Jason and Jimmy Mac, you know, their, their original, uh, you know. Oh, their- no, he's never going to let us live that down. <laughs> I knew it. Never. I knew it was going to come back. Ours a little bit more. And it's, it, trust me, it, it was something that it was definitely we talked about at the session because certain words, when you rolled the R's, it didn't sound right. And would it be, uh, would in, uh, American audiences, would they catch on? You know, there's there's all these things, these little fine details that you're taking into consideration when you're doing uh, characters with accents so the audience can understand what they're saying. Because if you speak too, if you speak too quickly, you know, it, it might go by and people don't understand what you're saying. But uh, it was your guys urging at the, at more Trilling, uh, more <laughs> trilling of the R's. You know, it's oh, funny. I, it reminds me. I I, I remember hearing uh, the late Jonathan Smith, who uh, uh, who played, excuse me, um, Doctor Smith. Uh, Jonathan Harris played Doctor Smith on uh, Lost in Space. Had a very similar kind of affected tone. In fact, he famously once said, because they were, somebody said, oh my gosh, you mean you're not from Europe? He says, no, dear boy, just affected. Because I believe he was, he was like, a, he was a Jewish guy from New York, I believe. So uh, that's interesting. And, the, you know, kind of from the same era, but actually Peter Cushing was, was a Brit, but it's funny how he'd sort of developed this exaggerated uh, version, which obviously served him very well. I mean, it became his shtick. It did. And, you know, I think when, you know, he came over to the United States very early on in his, in his career to be a part of Hollywood uh, before he went back to Britain and made a name for himself in the Hammer films. He was a big fan of Tom Mix, the Western star, and was hoping to, <laughs> to meet. And he's like, oh, my really? gosh, I got to Hollywood and meet Tom Mix and possibly work <laughs> with Tom Mix. As a matter of fact, if you look in the old uh, Laurel and Hardy film, A Chump at Oxford, Peter Cushing is one of the guys in the uh, – uh, in the film that's playing against Laurel and Hardy. He's got no a big kidding. mustache on in one of the scenes. He's very, it's funny. Oh my gosh. So he really worked with some of those, yeah. the, the, the golden age uh, folks. That's, yeah. um, that's, that's amazing. You know, he is an interesting villain. You know, um, I believe it was Pablo in the recon that was mentioning that, you know, a lot of, you know, Star Wars fans like the very extreme characters with, you know, like a Darth Maul or a Boba Fett. But as a kid, there was always something really, really creepy and scary about Tarkin. And he never got the love. You know, he never got the action figure. But he was clearly someone to be reckoned with. And his definitely that character's, um, you know, his uh, his fan base, I guess you could say, has, has really grown. He was sort of that um, unsung, instead of unsung hero, unsung villain of the of the first star Wars. Yeah. That's part of the reason why I had my brother do the sculptures, uh, from the, the clone wars, especially the Tarkin figure, because there wasn't really anything out there. And especially from, you know, that time period of Tarkin, the younger one. So, you know, I'm very happy. My brother Roy was, uh, took it upon himself to, to take, undertake that project and do that whole one, six scale Tarkin figure. Cause it came out beautifully. I oh, just it's an amazing it. figure. And in and fact, Steve, I think they're all the, the photos are all available on your Facebook page, right? If people want to go oh, yeah. take a look at those. Yeah. And there, I think my brother's Facebook page, the Art of Roy Stanton, he's got everything there: Morallo Evol, Tarkin, all that stuff is there. Morallo Evol. So he, he's created a, a a like a figure of all the characters that you've voiced, and not just the Star Wars characters, but others as well, right? Uh, no, just right now, just the J- Star Wars, just the Star Wars stuff. Yeah, from the from the Clone Wars, which is that's you know that's that's keeping him busy right now, among <laughs> his other art art projects and sculpting projects that he's doing. Yeah, well, you know what? He's doing a better job than Hasbro these days. 
<laughs> well, yeah, no, I, I agree totally. I mean, there's all these, you know, Sideshow, Gentle Giants, uh, Hasbro, everybody had an opportunity to jump in and do some of those Clone Wars uh, figures, and nobody stepped up to the plate. And so, you know, Roy and I had to sit down and, and figure out what we thought that figure would look like, because we didn't want to actually just do the uh, figure from the show. What we tried to do was, like, if the figure from the show was a real human, what would he look right, like? Right, right. That's what yes. the sculpture is based on. So I think, you know, I love looking at it next to the uh, the Moralo Evol uh, sculpture. As a matter of fact, I have a one-six scale Jonathan Harris uh, as uh, Dr. Smith that I have posed next to it on my show. <laughs> Do you really? Dr. Smith right there. Oh, I'm such a fan. I, I really am. I love him. Speaking of your Clone Wars characters, Stephen, uh, I did really enjoy the great performance of uh, Mieber Gaskin in uh, this weekend's big box office hit, the SpongeBob movie, Sponge Out of Water. I know Mieber was playing uh, Plankton. And he really turned in an Oscar-winning performance. Well, I'm glad to hear it. I had no idea Mieber was out there doing these other things. I'm glad yes. to see he's working, though. <laughs> Poor guy. He's, you know. he's on solo. <laughs> but, uh, that's, you know, and one more thing about um, your brother, Roy. He, he really is a talent. And is he a really big Star Wars fan? Oh, gosh, yes. He's, you know, on his own, he's done a number of Star Wars uh, portraits of some of the original trilogy uh, cast members. And I remember when we were kids, you know, of course, he and I went to see it. Uh, we went to see that with my little sister and my dad. We went up to see it together. And then when Empire Strikes Back, I had gotten my very first driver's license. And I remember he and I racing to the, uh, to the, to the theater on the opening weekend of Empire Strikes Back to see that. And then when I was out here in California uh, at my very first job, which was at the uh, it was Grauman's Chinese Theater, which is where Star Wars premiered, um, Lucasfilm was premiering uh, Return of the Jedi down the street at the Grauman's, what was then used to be called the Grauman's Egyptian Theater. And um, uh, <laughs> this is one of these times where this is during the day when people used to camp out you know, for weeks in advance living on Hollywood Boulevard in sleeping bags and everything, waiting to see, uh, the, you know, the next uh, Lucas or Spielberg film. And I remember Roy was out here uh, visiting me in California at the time. And uh, I, you know, I knew the manager of the theater, so I got him passed into the very first screening of it on that day. And, Scott, you'll get a kick out of this. There was one guy dressed as Darth Vader. That was the only person in costume there. Awesome. That was it. It still wasn't a thing to do yet. I mean, but everyone was like, cool, there's a guy dressed as Darth Vader. And big conversation was, is he real? Is he from the Lucasfilm? Oh. You know? <laughs> is he you know, real? Yeah, exactly. And, and actually, Lucasfilm had spent quite a bit of money to refurbish the inside of the theater just for this uh, premiere. Uh, you know, they read. I think they redid the seats and some of the concessions and new carpeting, all that kind of stuff. They made a really, uh, really big deal out of uh, Return of the Jedi. And I remember a friend of mine uh, when this was out, he actually had a bunch of the buttons that said Revenge of the Jedi. And I remember I never asked them for him or, you know, wanted them or anything like that. Because I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not going to really I'm not a button wearer. So, you know, not not realizing the uh, significance of the. Uh, those buttons and what they would come to oh, represent. Yeah, that stuff is. Uh, I mean, even the buttons. I mean, any, none of that is really easy to come by these days. The, the Revenge of the Jedi stuff. So you didn't go with Roy. You just snuck him in uh, and to work. Oh my gosh, <laughs> we were that's showing... terrible. So did he? What? Did he like run back and be like, "Dude, it's true. He's his father." 
And oh. Leia's his sister. No, no, no. We, we saw we saw Return. We saw Empire Strikes Back together. This was Return of the Jedi. Yeah, but it was confirmed in Jedi. They still you at the end of Empire. It was like we is he, isn't it already he? An Empire. Okay, there was no doubt. We were like, can you believe that? Uh, no, he was. He was. I think he went back. I think he stayed in and watched it a couple of times in a row. I'll have to ask him about it. But he was just, you know, out of his mind that he was there in Hollywood at the theater. It was opening wow. at in Hollywood, you know, with Lucasfilm behind the presentation, wow. you know, seeing it for the first time with, you know, the very first audience uh, screening. So, yeah. You know. Oh, so those cool. were the days you'd sit in the theater and watch it two, three, four times all in the same afternoon, too. <laughs> yeah. You were allowed then. They didn't you come and get shoot away you out. With- yeah. Speaking, right. I was going to say, speaking of buttons, though, we know Scott and I, we've got we've gotten buttons for you guys from our big battle pod challenge that we did over in uh, Dave and Buster's in the Star Wars battle. Heck pod. yeah. You know, it was uh, Tarkin versus Vader, because I don't know if you guys know this. When we recorded the, the dialogue tracks for uh, um, this uh, battle pod game back in August of last year. I, of course, uh, they asked me back to do the old Ben Kenobi. You know, it says listening to Ben Kenobi from a certain point of view. Oh, know. fantastic. So. Wait, now my mind's blown because now we got Tarkin and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Exactly. All well, the same. I've, been doing, I've been doing old Ben Kenobi for LucasArts for a number of years, going all the way back to Star Wars Battlefront and Empire at War. So, I, you know, I love working with the gaming division and all those guys when they were doing all those uh those uh, those games and it was great to be called back to uh, to do. I think Tom Kane went in there and did Yoda for uh, the game, and uh, I think I did General Dodonna and a couple of other uh, uh, characters in there. But it's it's a great game. Have you guys had a chance to play it at your local Dave and Buster's or wherever it might be? My uh, local Dave and Buster's isn't so local. Um, it's a couple <laughs> hours away, but uh, it might be worth the trip. I have a few near me, uh, Stephen. I will uh, play these games and report back to you. Sounds good. It's awesome. I mean, the, it's it's engineered so perfectly that when you're in it, Scott, you can attest yeah. to this. You actually wore the Vader helmet inside of it. Your field of view is completely surrounded by the screen. You are in whatever scenario. And I love playing Vader's Revenge because it starts out with the Death Star. You're in Vader's TIE Fighter as the Death Star blows up. And then you're like, darn it, i got to clean this mess up. <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> I took was- down Millennium Falcon in that uh, scenario. That was actually one of the best things about that being the geek that I am and playing the game actually in the Darth Vader costume because the Vader's Revenge starts out with a reflection of Vader in the cockpit of the TIE fighter. So it was pretty awesome to see that reflection through the the view of Vader and then, you know, play the game. Wow. Nerd stuff. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's great. Hey, let's actually talk about this episode, if you don't mind. I mean, we very rarely do we have the opportunity of actually having one of the creative uh, crew uh, with us to talk about the episode and um the, you know it, it starts out with a bang i mean we for those of us that have been anxious to get um you know more john williams into this i mean you can't get bigger and better than the imperial march as tarkin comes to lothal uh we have the whole procession and uh jim it looks like they really pulled out all the stops to make this look and feel and sound just like what we saw in uh, Return of the Jedi with the arrivals of uh, Darth Vader and uh, Palpatine. Oh, absolutely. What you hear from Kevin Kiner in this episode is some of his best work since the series has begun. And if you watch Rebels Recon, you hear from Joel Aaron that he was referring to those two shots from Return of the Jedi when 
Vader arrives and then the Emperor later arrives. They they tried to study the lighting and the way the the whole scene was laid out. So it did really take you back to that scene in Jedi. And to me, it represented a real Star Wars tone and flavor to kick off this episode. Uh, the colors were bright and popping in the true McQuarrie style. The music was perfect. The uh, And it's great to see Tarkin get that sort of big entrance that has only been afforded to guys like the Emperor and Vader. This shows that Tarkin has really rised up higher in the ranks than we've assumed from our last encounter with him in the Clone Wars. Now, last time we saw him in Clone Wars, he, of course, was trying Ahsoka Tano. He was the prosecution. And, um, and now he's, he's back, obviously, as Steven said, showing a lot of experience, a lot of age, a lot of wariness, and that is a result of the wars. And also trying to snuff out these insurgences that are happening happening throughout the galaxy and most most notably at Lothal. So it, it caught his attention now and now he's arrived to bring down the hammer much like Vader was bringing down the hammer on uh, Moff Jajurad in uh, Return of the Jedi and then uh, the Emperor there to bring the hammer down on everyone you have Tarkin showing up with all the pomp and circumstance that's afforded to a man of his stature. And he shows up and he's there to bring the hammer down. Well, I want to, Steven, I want to ask you, cause that's, that's kind of interesting because the character himself, you know, says that he's, he's there to uh, really kind of um, point to their failures. <laughs> he's, he's very critical of, of callous of, uh, uh, of the inquisitor he says that they're not doing what they need to to protect the industrial interests there on Lothal. But th- th- I'm wondering if there's something more to this because of the way he reacts to uh, the word Jedi. Is he really there, you think, to just bring the hammer down, as Jimmy says, or is he there to see this for himself out of his own curiosity or some kind of mandate from up above? I think that's a good uh, kind of assumption to make. You know, if, uh, we know that Tarkin is probably there under one of two kind of like motivations. Either he went on his own to to keep this from spiraling out of control or the emperor sent him, in which case he's in a really bad mood. You know, <laughs> he, when the emperor is taking him away from things like, oh, I don't know, building a mobile battle station or something like that, you know, Tarkin's going to be crabby about having to deal with little stuff like this where they've got people that are supposedly proficient at their job and he's got to come in and talk to them about it. You've got, you know, you've got the Inquisitor there, you've got uh, Callus, you've got, uh, you know, Minister Tua, you've got all these people that, like, what don't they understand about how important this is? And then, of course, this whole business of Jedi and we don't know exactly what's happened between now and uh, you know, then Order 66, but, uh, you know, there's all that stuff about apparently it's it's not that well known throughout the system because, you know, ministers saying, well, there's rumors about what happened to them. 
So he's there, I think, probably, you know, like you said, for one of the things, he's going to find out whether this is true or not, that there's a Jedi or somebody who's claiming to be a Jedi or somebody who just found a lightsaber and has learned how to use it or who knows what. I thought it was interesting, Scott, how, you know, here's Tarkin standing in front of the guy whose uh, job it is to hunt down and destroy the remaining Jedi, and yet he's arguing uh, that the Jedi are dead, that they're, they're folklore, they're children's stories. So why the Inquisitor and why Tarkin's uh, kind of odd denial of their existence? Right, I thought that was really interesting as well, uh, that the way that he almost was denying the, the existence of the Jedi completely, and yet, like you said, there's the Inquisitor, uh, and, and w- what's the purpose of that if there isn't some sort of a threat uh, you know, yeah, uh, Jim, does it? Do you think that it's a question of how Tarkin is defining Jedi? Ooh, how his definition Tark- of yeah, his definition yeah. of Jedi is is Mace Windu, is Anakin Skywalker, the real deals, the Jedi, not this 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 Padawan that has sort of trained himself and then you know this orphan kid. I mean, uh, you know, I don't think that. Uh, Tarkin even considers Kanan to be any sort of legit Jedi, even a Padawan. I think he believes that Kanan is strictly a pretender, and he is uh, definitely not cut from the same cloth, as you say. You know, the, the legends that Tarkin worked with back when the Jedi were still Jedi. Um, Tarkin is skeptical is he denying that a Jedi could possibly exist or does he honestly believe that? And he hears this news and he's completely skeptical. How could some, how could this one slip through our fingers? Impossible. Vader realizes that there are still Jedi out there and he realizes that there's force sensitive children out there who may or may not be with actual Jedi. That is why the Inquisitor was sent on this mission. That was something that was put in by George Lucas's suggestion right. for the re-release of Spark of Rebellion. That does kind of confuse things. Well, I, I maybe, 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 maybe there is that perception that the Jedi have been completely wiped out. And... Maybe Kanan is the first Jedi they've seen in quite a number of years, or the first person representing himself as a Jedi in quite a number of years. It's causing enough of ruckus on Lothal that bigger personalities are being brought in. It's going higher up the ladder with the arrival of Tarkin. So obviously there's something special about this cell of rebellion. Stephen, you have gotten into the character's head, obviously, in, in, in playing him and not just the character, but, you know, the actor, too. There is something about Tarkin. He has a weakness, uh, this overconfidence that we see in episode four, New Hope. You could almost say he's in denial about the rebels ability to bring down the Death Star. So do you think that that kind of... Uh, Denial is in play here as far as the Jedi's extinction? 
I think he's probably sensing something and he's probably trying to keep a situation under control that he doesn't want out of control. Because you have to remember in that beginning sequence when he dresses everybody down, he says to the Inquisitor, it's a shame we don't have somebody here who specializes in them. Otherwise, this problem would be solved, right? right. And the Inquisitor's like, oh, okay, all right, I guess I've been screwing up. And then he goes on to say about, uh, you know, I'm going to prove that this guy can't be what he says he's going to be because – what happens later in the show, um, you know, he talks about, you know, you don't want somebody like this spreading hope around. Mm. So I think he's just trying to squash the whole idea of a Jedi. And I kind of agree a little bit with Jimmy. He's probably thinking any of these kids that were Padawans or turned out to be having a high midi-chlorian account or, or, account or something, it's like they aren't the true Jedi like like you know, the ones that I knew, the ones that I fought side by side with, like Anakin Skywalker and, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi and these guys. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't, he probably just wants to nip it in the bud. Yes. Yes. And, and I thought that was kind of interesting, Scott, the way he, you know, says, have you ever, have you ever met a Jedi? Well, I have. I have, I've, I've, you know, been side by side with them. There's almost like, a, you don't get a sense of disdain for them. There's almost like a, a respect for them too. Oh, well, absolutely, you know, and that's the stuff we don't see. That that's the stuff we don't see in, in in of Tarkin outside of the Clone Wars. You know, when we saw the younger Captain Tarkin or Admiral Tarkin, and now there's that time frame that's passed that we all talked about, and it's like so. What do we What do we not know that may have happened with the Jedi, with Tarkin, yeah. with everything that's going on? Yeah, I mean, he certainly, you know, played a pivotal role in bringing down a particular Jedi so he, right. he wasn't you know a, a friend Stephen you I think you wanted to mention something there well I was just going to say in in the Tarkin novel he does go into he, he talks about how he admires their fighting skills just like they're just not using them the right way it's like boy these guys have a lot of tools available at their disposal they just don't know how to use them to win a war you know yeah. almost like you know if only their, their morality wouldn't get in the way yeah, I mean, he just, he's, he's, it sounds like he spent more time with them uh, in the novel, especially, than uh, we've seen on screen anywhere. Hmm. That he studied their fighting methods. That he's, you almost get the feeling that Tarkin, if he was given a lightsaber, he could pick, up, pick it up and do some damage with it. Aha. Aha. Well, um, this might be a good time to bring on your friend who has a theory about Tarkin. And a lightsaber. Uh, can we get him on? Can we get uh, well, our man I, Dutch? I, I don't. I don't know if Dutch wants to go on mic, but we uh, uh, we're all sitting with a bunch of friends watching Call to Action the other day. Yeah, and it was pointed out uh, when uh, uh, Minister uh, all of a sudden kind of like choked on her own words, and it was sort of like, oh, that's almost like a force choke. It's like, has anybody done a? Uh, you know, uh, let's 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 did anyone see that. Let's watch it again. So we watch it like four times. Like, look at Tarkin. He gives her that look. And then she kind of like, oh, like, hmm, that's <laughs> Has anyone done a, uh, you know, uh, mini chlorian uh, check on Tarkin to see where he rates? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Maybe he's picked up a few things. Um, you know, we, yeah. It's now, all these all these years. We assumed it was Vader choking Madi in A New Hope. Little uh, did we know. <laughs> that's right. why he's so nonchalant about it in A New Hope. He's like, oh, Vader, stop it. I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because Tarkin is the only one 
It's it's funny. As a human, he doesn't carry a lightsaber. He doesn't carry a blaster. And people are just scared out of their wits around this guy. And he carries no weapon that we know of or that he sees. It's just him being there. That's enough to make people just drop over. Yeah, and they had to blow up the whole Death Star to get rid of him. Oh, I know. Well, as far as we know. As far as, far as we know. <laughs> you know, my theory about stationary holographic projectors that were... <laughs> <laughs> You're still holding on to that one. Person, uh, point of no return. There's, yeah. it's on screen where there is a holographic Tarkin in the crew. You know when yes, uh, that's right. To then it's like, hmm. So you never know. You never know what they had on the Death Star. I, I always figured Tarkin was smart enough to say, yes, I'll use one of those. Thank you. I'll take two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's. It is uh, it is interesting to watch him in that in that film. I mean, he is uh, the company man down to the last second, uh, never losing faith, no matter how close the uh, the rebels get. Um, and so it, it 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 you start to see the seeds of that um, stubbornness uh, and the blind spots start to form, start to grow in uh, in the Tarkin that we see in this in this particular episode. Uh, Jim, uh, just. Again, boy, I got to hand it to the show uh, where they're picking up where they left off and, you know, keeping that continuity going. Thank goodness uh, we see Travis realigning himself quite publicly back with the Empire. Yeah, right. They uh, they watch the, the hologram and he's talking to Alton Castle, who is a journalist in the Star Wars universe. And is he the um, founder of the Castle Run. No, no. <laughs> that uh, oh. big race they have there? Not a castle. I run, know castle it's run. castle. You know, I know. know better than that. I know. Here come the emails. <laughs> but uh, he is a character um, who uh, was in uh, the HollowNet News Reports, which were these, uh, these little blurbs. Here, let me see if I can just punch one up for us real quick. Um, these were these uh, mysterious little newsreels that started to pop up well, right before Star Wars Rebels debuted. Let me see if I can find a link here to one of them, just so we can sort of hear what it sounds like. Is he like the Brian Williams there of the, yeah. uh, <laughs> right. of the Empire? Empire? That's exactly who he is. He went he down went- in, a ta- in a TIE fighter uh, accident, and oh, it's just oh, the horror. Yeah, there was this mysterious... Oh, that's right. I forgot. That didn't happen. Um... <laughs> there was this mysterious website that showed up called hollownetnews.com. Ah. And hollownetnews.com featured these little propaganda videos about the rebel uprising on Lothal. And uh, this website appeared shortly prior to the premiere of Star Wars Rebels. And here's what one of those newsreels sounded like. This is Alton Castle for the only news you need. The Hollownet News. Jobless rates are at an all-time low as a result of the Empire's successful citizen registration program. In exchange for access to a few personal details, local Imperial subjects have been matched with the best employment opportunities the Empire has to offer. A large number of participants have been offered coveted positions at the Cyanar Fleet Systems Factory on Lothal. When asked about the thriving industry on her planet, Governor Arinda Price commented, This only demonstrates the power of what can happen when imperial interests are allowed to flourish in underdeveloped sectors. Well said, Governor Price. That sounds like something I heard on C-SPAN today, as a matter of fact. 
Oh, oh yeah. I, no, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, uh, Lothal jobless rates, uh, Little, it's a good thing. It's a good thing that jobless rates. Exactly right. So these are uh, these are very pro imperial <laughs> transitions that are going on. Needless to say, yeah. And um, and uh, so Alton Castle is the guy. And uh, so uh, you know, Gail Travis sort of played his counterpart for the insurgency going on throughout the galaxy. But now that's all come to an end, obviously, as he has been outed by our Lothal rebels in the last episode. So he has no choice at this point but to say, ah, oh, yes, I'm back in the fold, and the, the, we know the Imperials mean well, and I'm looking forward to my, you know, basically, coming back to the family. Right, right. Well, I mean, he's also saving face, too, where he's... You know, saying he wants an improved empire and uh, just like the rebels do, but they were taking his messages and twisting it. And uh, so, I mean, you know, his back was against the wall. He's a Weasley politician. So what do you expect from him? But Alton Castle. So now we're finally seeing what this guy looks like, because prior to this episode, we had only heard him on these Hollownet News reports that you could find at HollownetNews.com. I got a question. You guys, maybe you can help me with this. So I, I, I sometimes struggle with uh, Star Wars time because, you know, we, we see uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, on Tatooine. He's there for what, what are we guessing here? Uh, 19 years, 20 years, maybe yeah, something like that. 19, right. 20 years. Um, and he ages dramatically, clearly. But what's always struck me, and and they're bringing it out here in Rebels with, you know, the way Tarkin talks about this is ancient history, folklore, children's stories. You know, you see it on the face of Alec Guinness as as Ben Kenobi when he says, Obi-Wan Kenobi, that's a name I've not heard in a long time. You know, so you get the sense that we're talking about decades and decades and decades, but it's really, it's kind of like the equivalent of, you know, like 1994, Right. Today, you know, like, I, I don't know. Is that ancient history to some people or is that just wishful thinking on the part of the Empire that they can just sort of, uh, you, you know, as uh, I believe it was Reagan famously said, the dustbin of history. Is well, that yeah. where they're trying to push the uh, the Jedi legacy? Well, of course, the Empire is trying to suppress any information about the Jedi and they're trying to basically rewrite history. Tarkin, being a guy who has drank several pitchers of the Kool-Aid, as a matter of fact, he's the one making the Kool-Aid a lot of times. He completely believes in what he's saying. You know, old history, because anything prior to this glorious new empire is ancient history. Ah, that now that I can buy. That is great propaganda right there and a line that I could hear. Yes, anything prior to the birth of the glorious empire is ancient history. Right on. And for Obi-Wan, of course, he's out in the desert by himself, so every week is like a year. (laughs) It's really dry in the desert. (laughs) They're moisture farming there. (laughs) And he's only got basic cable. (laughs) <laughs> he only has the basic. Well, he only gets the network channels. Yeah, yeah. He's, you know, and, he, and nine PBS stations. You know, and, and the, the the guy keeps saying he's going to come out on Tuesday between nine and eleven, and he never shows up. <laughs> to that, can, we can't find it. It's a cave. 
Oh, well, it's okay. So I, you know what, Jim, you have, you have, uh, you've satisfied me. Good. You satisfied me there. Another satisfied think, customer. Um, you know, something that, you know, we all knew, Stephen, we knew that Tarkin was evil. We knew that he was capable of great cruelty. I mean, we, we see what he does to uh, Princess Leia there on the Death Star and kind of double crosses her. But Wow. Killing the imperial equivalent of Laurel and Hardy right there in front of everyone in his office. I don't remember their names, but there's there's a heavy guy and then there's a skinny guy. So I just call him Laurel and Hardy. But he's got the Inquisitor and uh, I, I'm guessing beheads them. We don't really get to see it, but he beheads them. But what I love about it is he lectures them first. Like he knows he's going to he knows he's going to execute them, but he still takes the time to monologue and uh, and lecture them first. And then he kills them. Absolutely. I mean, it's one of the it's one of the high points of the episode, if not the season. I mean, we went from, you know, like establishing Tarkin's uh, villainous in A New Hope by, you know, blowing up a planet that has, you know, that's completely has no weapons that can defend itself just to prove a point. And then uh, we get uh, in Clone Wars, we got to the point where he asked for Ahsoka Tano's, uh, you know, you ask, you know, for the penalty of death. She's proven guilty for blowing up the Jedi Temple. And now we get him going into somebody's office in their nice, clean office building and not even not even thinking about saying, we're going to chop these two guys' heads off and we'll get the janitor to come in and clean it up. He's not even concerned. The look of horror on the minister's face and on Callus's face when this happens is just absolutely priceless. I remember being in the session and uh, Dave Filoni apologized to David Shawnee, who, who David Shaughnessy, who voices both Oresco and Grint. Those are the ah, names. Oresco and Grint, right. Yes. And uh, he says, sorry, we're killing off both of your characters today in the same scene. <laughs> because, But it is Star Wars, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we have seen those guys quite a bit. I mean, they, they were, they're staples there on Lothal. The, you know, kind of the, the lower le- – mid-management, I think no, is what I- – I was surprised because, you know, I, I knew, you know, at, at this point, I, I had known some of the backstory of the series at this point. None of the episodes were out yet, but uh, I had gotten some material in advance. And, of course, Dave Filoni did one of his famous, you know, sort of like take a knee uh, pregame pep, locker room pep talks, you know, where you kind of get the rundown of what's going on. Because you have to understand, when I came into this series, we were doing, I'm you know, working on, you know, one of the last episodes. So I had to get up to speed on sort of like what's been happening since this series started. Why is Tarkin there and why is he angry and all that sort of thing. So I was just absolutely bored that he does this. It's like, wow, he just, and then seeing the animation, that just blew me away because I was, you know, you see, you see how it's written on the page and you're trying to imagine it and I'm thinking, what are they going to do? And then you actually see it on television. And I was like, okay, we just went up a couple of notches here. Oh yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it, it's, uh, there is, you know, for those that were saying, Oh no, it's a Disney show. It's going to be for kids. It's going to be, you know, all, uh, bubble gums and lollipops and all of that. That it's, it's not, I, I really tonally, I don't see this show as being anything remotely like Kitty Fair or all that much all that much lighter than the Clone Wars. The only thing that I'll say about this show and I've 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 bragged on it um for several weeks now is that the humor is so much more solid in this series. The the writing is so tight. The dialogue feels so 
uh, for me, so Star Warsy, so original trilogy, uh, with that kind of rapid, kind of old school Hollywood um, uh, rapid fire dialogue and really, really uh, subtle but good humor. Um, but I really tonally, I mean, and I think this episode satisfies some of those that have maybe been complaining that. Uh, I mean, they, they are they beheaded two guys. You know? <laughs> I mean, it's. That scene was perfectly executed, so to speak. Ah! And, and, <laughs> and, but but it, I I actually looked at it when when Tarkin basically did you know reprimand them both and and talked for twenty minutes and then turned around and the way he did it was in my opinion reminiscent of how Darth Vader would sit and talk to the commanders and while he's choking one yeah. you know like yes, it just that's right. it was just like blah 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 and now you're dead and he didn't even wince he just turned around and it was done. But the way it happened with the Inquisitor, I was floored. It was just perfect. That is a, that is a great point, Scott. Uh, Jim, is this? Uh, are, are we looking at? Is is could it be that Vader learns how to navigate the the interior politics of the Empire by by what he sees Tarkin do? Is Vader emulating Tarkin, but just in a different way? I think it's the other way around. Quite honestly, I believe. Ah, well, okay. see, you know what they say: it rolls downhill, right? Who's who's sitting up on top of the hill? The evil emperor himself, and there are those who are close to him, as far as you know, where their elevator ends up in, in the empire, who understand that the empire is going to maintain the order via a rule of fear. They're going to rule by fear. And Tarkin is down with that. So when Fear will keep the locals in line. Fear, fear of this battle station and this guy with the two <laughs> lightsabers that'll chop your head off if you're not too careful. But I'll tell you what. Um, he wasn't monologuing to Grant and Oresco. He was monologuing to Tua and Callus. Yep. He wanted them to hear the message and get the point. And the way he was going to do that was by killing these two characters right in front of him, saying, you know, hey, all bets are off. We're going to find a scapegoat. And Tarkin knows darn well it's not going to be him. His butt's not going to come under fire for goofy stuff that's going on in Lothal. They're going to find a scapegoat no matter what, starting with Grint and Oresco. Next on the chopping block is Tua and Callus if they're not too careful. And also, Tarkin has made us very aware of the fact that he considers the Inquisitor to be somewhat of a disappointment. He thinks the Inquisitor is not succeeding in the way he should. So does this open up the door for Vader? I mean, does Tarkin become so fed up with the Inquisitor that basically he has the Inquisitor removed and then replaced by Vader? Because, you know, we, we see that Tarkin does have a relationship with Vader by the time of A New Hope. They're basically working together. And uh, I just want to know, is that relationship currently intact at this time? Does Tarkin have that relationship with Vader at this time? Or is he sort of developing that kind of uh, culture he wants to surround himself with as a leader? And having a dark side warrior at his disposal comes in very handy. And 
maybe through using the Inquisitor, like he uses the Inquisitor in this scene and throughout the rest of the episode, maybe this opens up the door for Tarkin to say, hey, I will work with Vader because I've seen how effective it is to have a guy like this in your employ. So you could sort of see how maybe these dominoes will start falling and lead us up to where everyone, all, where all the puzzle pieces are by the time of A New Hope. Well, Scott, you've actually been inside Vader, literally inside <laughs> Vader's cosmos. If you had to speculate, where do you think, uh, and this is all speculation, we don't know, uh, yeah. but where would you say that their, their relationship is at this point, if you had to guess? Well, and that's really interesting, too, because I, you know, th- when I see shows like this and I love Rebels and the Inquisitor, the character, I really dig the Sith anyway. But, you know, you don't see them after A New Hope. So these are those kind of Sith characters that come and go. They're, they're in episodes like this, and then we don't see them in any of the movies. So for me, I definitely think this shows kind of the way that Tarkin is working with the Sith or understands what they're capable of, whether or not he and Vader have any sort of an actual sort of relationship at this stage, I'm unsure of. We've seen Vader in the very first episode, obviously talking to the Inquisitor to you know search out the Jedi like we talked about. Um, and now we've seen the kind of things that Tarkin can do. So how, how they become sort of uh, the two cohorts that work together we see in A New Hope, uh, I think that's all being developed here. That's what we're going to find out more of, I think, in, in this particular show. You know, Stephen, some things that I sort of picked up, and I'm just sort of, you know, again, this is all speculation, is, you know, if we kind of put the clues together, uh, we hear Tarkin uh, almost dismissively saying to Vader in uh, episode four, and you have to forgive us, we're going to do our bad Tarkins, because you can't really quote the dialogue without doing your your worst. Um, but, but he says... Um, the Jedi are all but extinct. You, my friend, are all the you know remains of their ancient religion. And then the and it's almost a, it's a little um, pandering or a little uh, I don't know what the word is. Just kind of uh, almost like he, he's sort of talking down to him, like you know you're you're the only kind of kook uh, left from that. And then when they bring up the Jedi here in this episode, he rolls his eyes. Oh yes, the Jedi from nowhere. So you might get the sense that, yes, he's aware of the Inquisitor's mandate, and it's coming from Vader, but it's kind of part of that kind of fringe, quasi-religious side of the Empire that he'd rather just, he rather just didn't exist because he's much more a military guy. He's about the, the, the metal and steel and not so much all these, uh, this, this other stuff. Yeah, actually, a lot of the stuff that you guys have been talking about right near right uh, this last few minutes is addressed in the book. You really get an idea of Vader and Tarkin's uh, relationship, how it began, and how it got set up, and what they sort of think of each other, how they work together, and w- what what they what they're learning from each other on what tactics work. Because the Emperor really sets it up for the two of them to be put into a situation a problem situation that they have to solve together and they haven't really worked together as Vader and Tarkin. And he discusses about, well, well, who he believes is under the helmet, who he's pretty much sure is under the helmet, but how it's not talked about and how he just is kind of going along with things. There's, there's a lot of things. And, you know, and the reason I keep bringing the book up is now because of the whole story group and how these things are now canon. And this fills in a lot of stuff that's taking place 
you know, in a time period that we're all talking about now, more or less, you know, give or take five, ten years. Uh, will, you Jason, read, will you read the book to me? Sure. <laughs> yes. uh, that's, uh, I could just call you up. I could Skype you up every night, you know, like bedtime stories. We, uh, you know, you heard uh, the little excerpt that Jimmy Mack and uh, and uh, Scott and I. Uh, I know. know, and then I, and I mean, and and no offense, uh, you know, the great folks there at at Delray and the and the books that they put out, and the, uh, but I, it, it's not the same. It's I want you, I want you reading it. Well, you know, I actually couldn't do the book. There is some other things going on, uh, career-wise, work-wise. It just would have been impossible for me to 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 do it. And I had some health issues going on at the time. It wasn't something I could really uh, commit the time to. So, sadly, mm. uh, all you have is Jimmy Max expertly produced. Oh, it's so yes. good. Clip. Thank you. <laughs> no, it well, is. It, it's so good. But th- yeah, that's a good point, Stephen. That you know. We probably should at some point, because he is such a pivotal character, uh, maybe turn our attentions to that novel and and uh, crack it open and 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 get it and get it read. So then maybe something because I'm sure that we've got folks screaming right now at their, oh, at their yeah. speakers in their cars. Yes. Oh, you know please. It. On page 148, it clearly states. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Wait. it's true. Uh-huh. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's fair. You know, full disclosure. We haven't read the books, Jason and mm-hmm. myself. And uh, I do have them ready to rock. I just need to commit the time. So, yeah. and, uh, and actually, uh, Jason, on page two hundred and fifty. <laughs> oh, what, what does that say? Because <laughs> <laughs> it talks about some things that uh, that we were talking about. In all dealings with the emperor, he was referred to as Grand Moff. But for ordinary interactions with military personnel, he retained the honorific governor. And then it talks about him having his bodyguard, personal bodyguard of 32 stormtroopers who accompany him wherever he goes, which we kind of, I think we established that at C6 on the red carpet. Oh, absolutely. The stormtroopers have uh, accompanied Tarkin to the premiere for season five of the Clone Wars. But it's little things like that. You find out in the book that he's the only Grand Moff and he gets to design his uniform the way he likes and add little special details to it. So these are all new things that, you know, if you're only if you're if you only know the story from the films and the TV show or only from the expanded universe, you got to pick up the new stuff and, you know, get on board and find out what's where everything is headed because the clues are all there. Well, let's talk about where this might be headed. At the end of the episode, uh, Kanan is captured. We have um, Ezra sort of taking his place, uh, taking his parents' place as almost the voice of the uh, of the opposition. And Jim, um, as a radio guy, you know, the rebels are taking their uh, actions public. They've decided to come out of the shadows. And in the wake of Travis's betrayal, now they're going to be the voice of the opposition, and they pick uh, Ezra for this. They're doing some morning radio. They got a morning zoo going on there. <laughs> it's pump up the volume. That's Star right. Star Wars. That's style. right. And coming up in the nine o'clock hour, we got the phrase that pays. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I'm you're, you're absolutely right, Jason. Well, the reason they have to do this is because they need to get their message out. Seeing how Travis has betrayed them. I mean, they were basically conned. But still, they feel stung, and they see this guy has a voice. He, they're putting now they're putting the picture of uh, our our Lothal rebels up on the hollow net so they can be identified, and uh, it just doesn't look good. So it's it, 
and they can't take to the Twitter to defend themselves. So they no. uh, they do the smart thing and they they um, they pirate that broadcasting tower, and they they are able to send out a message, albeit briefly, until Tarkin brings the tower down, which also is a great. Uh, look at to Tarkin's personality if there is a fly in the room and it's annoying <laughs> you you swat it <laughs> and you don't think about well, I was going to say you blow up the whole room you just I mean, you blow know, up he, the yeah. room <laughs> well that's what he does so he takes the yeah. tower down in what I thought was a stunning piece of animation too yeah. um, but uh, but yeah, it was it was because I mean they had to take advantage of it. It was a great plan. Fight fire with fire. You know, if they're going to use propaganda against the rebels and the rebels are going to start generating their own propaganda and it's great to see Ezra following the footsteps of his parents and taking up the mantle and providing them a legacy which they earned. But weren't able to cash in on because they mysteriously disappeared and you know, their fate is still unknown. So uh, good on Ezra and um, a very bold move that resulted in, of course, the capture of Canaan. So it was not without some severe consequences. All right. Now I am going to uh, recuse Stephen from this, this final question uh, because I don't think it would be fair to him unless he'd like to reveal something to us. Are, are you um, going to talk about the uh, Radio Free Rebels or whatever their radio station is called? <laughs> yeah, what do you think it would be a good name for Rebel the, Radio. Yeah, I have Rebel Force Rebel Radio. Rebel Force Radio. Something like that. That's what they should that's call themselves, should, right? Yeah. The, Tarkin took out the tower, but they could still have a name for their broadcast, right? Your source for the – Jimmy's already thinking about imaging and liners and all kinds of stuff <laughs> with <laughs> Ezra. Fire. Yeah. Um, but uh, – but I want to talk about, you know, and it's a shame in one way that these spoilers were, you know, came out because, as I said at the top of the program, before I even heard this, I would have been speculating myself. We know, Scott, that Tarkin wants Kanan alive. Right. Uh, he's obviously very interested in extinguishing this threat, yet he wants him alive. And I'm, you start to wonder, well, who wants him alive? Does Tarkin really want him alive, or is that his, are those his orders? So let the speculation begin. Is this on the orders of Vader, who seems to be working his business through the Inquisitor, not through Tarkin, or is this perhaps through the orders of Palpatine himself? How high does this go, and does it create an opening for one or both of these characters to make an appearance on the show. Well, that's an interesting one. I haven't, I haven't looked on, I try to stay offline and stay away from spoilers for this show, for the movie, those kinds of things. But I've already said to myself with the appearance of Tarkin, I just can't imagine uh, that it, it won't be soon before we see Vader as well. I mean, we saw him in the very first episode as it is, so we know he's there, obviously. And just the way everything is playing out. This, this episode, it was odd to me because it ended with the feeling of a little bit of uh, the end of Empire Strikes Back when Luke is standing in the medical frigate and you know Ezra mm. is, is Luke feeling very sad and knowing that his buddy just got taken away. You know, It's not Han and Carbonite, but it's kind of like... Kanan is being taken away to go through that same thing that Han went through when he was being tortured to to talk about 
uh, you know, where, where the rebels were and things like that before it was frozen. So it's like, are they taking him off to Vader? Is Tarkin already aware or working with them? Uh, is it part of the grand plan or, or yeah, is it the emperor who's really facilitating everything? Uh, lots of ways it could go. Jim, what do you think is who's pulling the strings here inevitably when it comes to the capture uh, of Kanan? You know, I think it's Tarkin. I think the buck stops right there. I think he wants to see it for his own eyes. He wants to know whether or not a Jedi slipped through their fingers and is responsible for the pesky insurgents happening on Lothal. I think he just wants to see it for himself. So I think that's all. Uh, so he's not doing it for anybody no, else. No, no, no. I, I don't think so. I, I don't think he's aware of the fact that Vader has has given this this directive to the Inquisitor to kill all Jedi and bring four sensitive children to Vader. I, I don't think Tarkin's in on that at all. I think it's just out of his curiosity. I think he wants to see it for himself. Oh, interesting. Ah, uh, that is uh, Stephen. Yeah. <laughs> Are you catching all this? I'm catching all of it. It sounds pretty awesome. I don't actually know about whatever the spoilers are online, but uh, I'll give you this. And this, this is just a little interesting thing that kind of like throws a monkey wrench in this stuff. The scene at the end when uh, Tarkin has, when they've got um, Kanan captured and they've got him there, and Tarkin's in his battle armor, and he's talking to him, and he gets the information that they're going to that they, they that the tower has been taken over, and that they're broadcasting. There is a whole piece of dialogue, a conversation that goes on between Tarkin and Kanan that we recorded that was deleted from this particular episode. Whoa! And I'm not sure if it was done for time or if it was because there were some spoiler type things in there that they maybe want to save for later. I was really, it was a very, very intense uh, Mm. conversation that went on. Some, some cruel and nasty things were said by certain people to other people in that scene. (laughs) (laughs) I, 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 I haven't had a chance to talk to Dave Filoni and what, what went on there, but I'm curious to see, that that whole sequence, there's a lot more there than meets the eye. There's a lot more going on than you realize between those two. Well, it's, it's, it's going to happen. It's down to the wire. I think we have, uh, Jim, what, two more episodes left? They're going to do a, uh, a baker's dozen here? Yeah, it looks that way. We're going to be uh, taking next week off, and then we'll be re, uh, returning with the uh, penultimate episode of season one which is called Rebel Resolve. And then that will lead us up to early March when we'll see the Series 1 finale for Star Wars Rebels. So uh, really like uh, how uh, everything's uh, pointing toward maybe a Season 1 cliffhanger. You know, what with Kanan being kidnapped by the uh, Inquisitor and the Imperials and Tarkin is going to do who knows what to him. Do you think that Kanan is going to get away in Rebel Resolve? I mean, sure, it seems easy. It seems like what you expect from an animated series. But I think much like with the Clone Wars, Star Wars Rebels is going to prove to be a very unpredictable series. And just when we think they're going in one direction, there's going to be a twist and a turn. And we're going to find ourselves in another direction. 
that's going to wrap things up here this week for Rebels Declassified here on Rebel Force Radio. Our look at Call to Action in the can. As Jimmy said, two more episodes to go here, season one. But fear not, season two, right around the corner, the premiere, as announced, will occur at Celebration in Anaheim in April. So we have that to look forward to. And if you're wondering about the spoilers, just look online. They're out there. You can find them, what we're speculating about. But, uh, wow, what a great episode. What a great reintroduction to Grand Moff Tarkin, Governor Tarkin. Very exciting to watch this unfold. Stephen Stanton, thank you so much for being on the program. What a wonderful air of credibility you gave us this week, sir. Well, thank you so much. It was uh, it's a pleasure to be back on the show, and it's also a pleasure to be uh, bringing Emma Mark back to the fans. He's, uh, he's, he's a terrific villain. Yes, he is, and uh, thank you for doing it so faithfully and having so much passion for the the character and the actor who uh, gave him life. It's just it's just amazing that you know almost forty years after the premiere of Star Wars that. Uh, it's still going strong like it is. And the fact that we have so many fans involved in the current Star Wars, it's just, it's so much fun. It's really cool. So thank you for that. Uh, Scott, Scott Allen from the 501st, Lord Vader. <laughs> thank you so much, sir. Hey, thanks for having me on with y'all. And uh, we'll, we'll have you back. We'll have you back. Well, next, maybe if Vader shows up. In the series, we'll we'll have you back so you can critique the the the, the costume. There, there, there you go. <laughs> the armor. See how they do. It'll be interesting to see. We only saw the helmet. It'll be interesting right? to see how they, if and how they bring that to life. Uh, definitely a more stylized version of uh, of Vader. But anyway, Scott, great to have you with us. Thanks so much, Jimmy Mack. Call to action. Final thoughts. All right, Jason. Final thoughts on insurgents. Oh, I mean. Final thoughts on Call to Action. I did that on purpose. Um, as Stephen told us, the original title for this episode was Insurgents. But uh, Call to Action is what they settled on, and there was a lot of action in this episode. And uh, I thought it really flowed well with uh, character development and um, advancement of the series on a whole. Uh, starting with the opening sequence, what a great callback to Return of the Jedi felt very Star Wars. That's a, a, the flavor of Star Wars right there in that opening seg- segment. Great across the board from animation to acting to music. Fantastic arrival for uh, Stephen Stanton's character, Grand Moff Tarkin. Irascible. <laughs> Grand Moff Tarkin. Not bad, huh, Stephen? Not bad. Irascible. You're Thank absolutely you. irascible, Jimmy Mac. Oh, that's the good stuff right there. Um, I, the assassination of Oresco and Grint. Uh, it's that moment, and we experienced it several times during the Clone Wars run, where we said to ourselves, oh, my God, you know, it, this is not a kiddie show. There are some serious consequences for these characters, and some of them meet their demise in very cruel ways, as we saw. Tarkin lowering the hammer on Oresco and Grint. Via the Inquisitor. Great stuff. Great sequence. Uh, love to see the probe droid in an early version show up in this episode. Very cool. Complete with this. <laughs> Who can forget that memorable dialogue? 
Um, the Imperial Transmission Tower, as I mentioned during our uh, show here, uh, when that was destroyed, I thought that was a brilliant piece of animation. And I couldn't help but think that uh, in the editing suite over there at Lucasfilm Animation, uh, Dave Filoni must have had this moment of gratification as he pretended they were shooting down the Rebel Force radio broadcast tower. <laughs> Uh, by the way, uh, I love a good cliffhanger. We got a great cliffhanger in this episode. Uh, Ezra is going to have to deal with his uh, separation anxieties as he finds a uh, another father figure in his life has been removed. And uh, we don't know what's going to happen here. Uh, two episodes to revol- resolve this cliffhanger in season one. Will it be resolved? I hope not. I hope that... Uh, some really nasty stuff happens to Kanan. I, I'm sorry, but I do. I I want to see uh, I want to see some drama here with this uh, kidnapping of Kanan. And uh, even though the next episode is called Rebel Resolve, I don't think this situation will be resolved. And uh, I certainly am looking forward to a huge grand finale for season one as we ramp up toward the season finale. Puffer Pig, not in this episode. <laughs> a Grand Moff season finale, I think, there is you. on its way. There All you. right, everyone. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for listening here at uh, Rebel Force Radio and our Rebels Declassified. We'll see you in a couple weeks here for, as Jimmy said, the second to last episode, Rebel Resolve. For those of you looking for it on demand, it'll show up on February 16th and then broadcast on February 23rd. That's it for us. Love you all so much. For Rebel Force Radio, I'm Jason. And I'm irascible. (laughs) And remember... The Force will be with you. Always. That's a rap. <laughs> <laughs>